Well, I can't believe we're here. I can't believe that we got here after uh, 22 months away, and uh, I can't believe we just made it from San Diego as well. That's a miracle in and of itself. Thank you for uh, being here today. You can go ahead and take your seats this uh, afternoon. Gracie and I are privileged to be Christians. Can you say amen? We're thankful that the Lord saved us and set us free and we're glad to be pastors, I'll be honest with you. We like being pastors. We have worked hard to be pastors and have worked even harder to be good and faithful pastors. But to be honest, it's being a Christian that matters most. Being a father and a grandfather and serving the Lord and being an example in the world in which we live. And so uh, it, it, it just is a fine opportunity to be able to be here with you. I uh, appreciate Pastor Danny and Sister Sabrina all the workers here at Remnant Whittier, name of our church is Aspire Church. Uh, we're actually located in Salford, which is right next to Manchester. You can't hardly tell the difference, but uh, we've been there five years, uh, and we're looking forward to more time. This is the year that we're going to be applying for permanent residency once again, <laughs> and so that's an exciting thing. Uh, we've been working on a, a minister of religion visa for Every year, we renew every three years, actually, and they renew it every year. And uh, now we're going to be able to uh, be permanent in terms of residency, and so we're excited about that. Praise the Lord. Today, I want to minister to you something uh, a little bit uh, different from the way that I maybe would normally speak to you. Uh, a lot of things have happened since the last time that we saw each other. And there may be and probably are new people that we don't know each other yet. Uh, hopefully today a little bit of what I share will kind of uh, at least know where my heart is at. You know, it was 22 months ago that Gracie and I were sitting in the uh, Terminal 4 of LAX getting ready to board American Airlines Flight 134 for London Heathrow. And I remember that time very clearly because the, we were starting to hear word of things like coronavirus uh, we were talking about things like Wuhan, China, and what was going on, and travel bans, and so on and so forth, but we didn't really know what that meant. We didn't understand what that was all going to entail. After less than 30 days after arriving back in Manchester, uh, the government locked down the entire country. We were uh, forced to uh, have our church closed, and it was very difficult for us, for one, just closing the church, but there was difference of mindsets. Uh, in England, most everybody thought it was the right thing to do, but I talked to American pastors, and they're like, it's in the Constitution, man. We're staying open. And I'm thinking like, yeah, that's called the American Constitution. I don't live in America anymore, you know. And there was this battle going on in my heart, you know, and we closed and started going to online services, and it was okay. Thank you, Jesus. We were able to do all right. Within six months of that time, the people that I admired most, man, found out things that were just unthinkable during that time, shocking, uh, unfathomable things began to happen. My world was rocked. I've got to tell you that because I haven't seen you. I know some of you are just like, you moved on light years from then. For me, it hasn't been like that. For me, it's been very difficult, and our church suffered because of that. We were evicted from the building that we were in for 30 years. 30 years. Evicted from who? <laughs> well, figure it out. <laughs> I've got to tell you all that, along with what was going on in the world, man. Racial violence in Manchester. Racial violence in all of England. And us hearing a, a, a lot of injustices being done here in the United States. Uh, all of this was just so difficult. And I want to tell you that we live in unprecedented times. We live in times that we have not seen before. There are difficulties that Christians face that are like never before. I don't want to sound negative Nelly kind of person here, but I do want you to know that we live in historically difficult times. Oh, certainly there's been worse times and in worse places. Uh, some of what we go through is just small change compared to what believers go through in other places. But nevertheless, the pressure is real. 
The pressure's real. We, we feel that. And I've got to tell you that the hot breath of the devil has been breathing down your back and mine, your church and ours. And that's why I want to speak to you today on this topic because we have to fight fire with fire. We have to stand up against the works of darkness uh, because we serve Jesus Christ who is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the captain of the host, the captain of our salvation. And you and I are required to follow him with that kind of heart. We must not lie down and quit. Now, for some of you, you haven't even thought about it. I've got to tell you, for me, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I, 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 I thought, well, let's... This is all she wrote. (laughs) We got to the end. This is the end. But it's not the end. And that's why we have to talk about this topic today that I'm just calling our finest hour. Our finest hour. And the reason I want to speak to you on this topic is because we live in Great Britain. And in the 40s, uh, the early, late 30s, early 40s, uh, uh, it was a, a chaotic time with uh, Adolf Hitler and uh, Germany wanting to invade uh, all the entire world. And I've got to tell you that it was in those times when horrible things were happening, but it was in those times where the British people rose up to the challenge. There were traits that they had, that, and that's why they were known as the greatest generation. Would it be better if I use another microphone or will we get it? I just want to make it easier on you. If you want me to hang tough, I'll hang tough. If you think I should use a handheld, let's just go for it. I don't care. I'm easy, man. I'll do whatever I'm told to do. You want me to sit down, I'll sit down. You want me to use that one? I'm going to use that. He told me to use that one. I'm going to use that one. Test one, two. Oh, that sounds like me. Praise the Lord. I don't have to start over, do I? (laughs) We're talking about our finest hour because in that time of World War II, there were a generation of people in the UK and in the US uh, who had to rise to a particular challenge of the enemy. And I believe there's some parallels that we can learn in our lives. I want to tell you that there were some traits that they had that you and I can learn from. They didn't know they were biblical traits, but yet they were. And the first one that we have to see is this issue of leadership. This issue of leadership. It's been said that Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Britain at the time, was the man who single-handedly won World War II. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'll tell you one thing. Uh, He is a highly unlikely candidate to be that kind of guy. He was actually a strange kind of man, to be honest with you. Winston Churchill wasn't even liked by his own party. His own party didn't want him to be prime minister. He was looked down upon. They wanted to have Neville Chamberlain as their prime minister. But nevertheless, uh, uh, this guy rises up. He was an awkward-looking man. He was a bit rotund, which means he was fat and overweight. (laughs) He was a man that his work style was different. He would wake up about 11 o'clock in the morning, and he would work uh, with his uh, pajamas on, in bed, drinking whiskey and soda until about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. When I was studying this, I told Gracie, I said, maybe that's the deal. Maybe i got to start drinking whiskey and soda, and I'm going to make it through. I just threw that one in there kind of for free there, you know. But he took naps at 5 p.m. every night for two hours. Some of you are going, man, I like this prime minister. He's a pretty good guy. But the point I'm trying to make is that he wasn't your typical leader, but he was this. He was the man for the time. And I want to tell you that God is looking for people that might not fit the typical mold of leader. You might not have a, what normal people would look like as a, as a leader, but nevertheless, God is wanting to use you. I was talking with pastor, one of the pastors, and we were talking about how the fact that we strive to be leaders, but sometimes we fall short. We're not the greatest leaders in the world as much as we try, but we are the ones that God is using now to do this little work that we do. And I say little, not that it's unimportant, it's just not huge. 
and recognize with me today that God is looking for leaders who might not look for leaders, look like leaders, but have the heart of a leader. Most of you will remember this famous passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In verse number 6, it's talking about Eliab. And they say, oh, Eliab, surely this is the one that the Lord is choosing to be a leader. But the Lord says to Samuel, no, this isn't the one. Don't look at his appearance because I don't look at people like that. He goes, I'm looking for one who has a heart. And I want to tell you today, you probably will never have the title of a leader. But I want to ask you, do you have the heart of a leader? Having a title is so unimportant. We've learned, haven't we, that people who have titles sometimes don't have the heart. Sometimes people who have the position and the power and the money uh, are not the ones that God is looking at. As a matter of fact, God's exposing that. And that's why you and I have to look and say in these diabolical times in which we live, our hearts must be right with God. Can you say amen? Christian leadership has some specific traits, and we could talk for two services about them. But let me give you three that are absolutely critical, and that's servanthood, humility, and deference to others. We know about servanthood. One thing I know is that Americans have a a natural inborn tendency to serve. I know those of you that are pastoring here, you might think, not all my people know how to serve. But I want to tell you, compared to most nations of the world, uh, uh, you're doing pretty good. But the reality is Christians, no matter what nation you're from, need to have that heart of servanthood. Jesus was a servant. Jesus' followers need to be servants. We need humility. It's not about arrogance. It's not about being proud. Uh, Winston Churchill never said, I'm the greatest leader ever. He was just steadfast in what he believed uh, and stood and hung in there. That needs to be you and I. And then there's the third one that is often overlooked, and that's deference to others. That word deference means to defer, allow someone to go before you. It's like if you reach the opening of a doorway at the same time as another person, you back off and you say, go ahead. You might have been first. That might have given you the right to enter through that doorway first. But because you defer to others, you allow them to rise up. Sometimes it's the same as true in the Christian church. You're not going to get recognition for what you do sometimes. As a matter of fact, they may even look opposite of you. But you defer to others. You, you work to see others rise up to the challenge. It's called deference to others. We know this. Because scripture tells us this. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. You know, I heard that even before I was a Christian. Older people always tell me, hey, listen to your elders. Hey, obey your elders. Many of you have heard that. It's a common thing that's said. But they forget the next part of the verse there. It says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. That means elders should be submissive to (laughs) non-elders. That means leaders need to be submissive sometimes to those who serve. Whatever the case may be, there's that deference to other people. That's what separates us from the rest of the, of the world. This is what separates us from the rest of those who say, listen to me, I'm the great leader. No, there's a deference to others. The rest of the scripture, as you can read, uh, it says, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. One thing I've learned in the last 18 months is I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God in my life. I don't mean to bleed on you too much, but I haven't had any close friends to talk to for a long time except over the phone, so I might just share a few things today. My wife can testify that there was a time 18 months ago when I couldn't even barely get out of bed. Oh, I got out of bed because my phone didn't stop ringing. My text just kept pinging over and over again. When America was awake, they were pinging. When Britain was awake, they were pinging. I didn't get any sleep. You know why? Because everybody wanted a piece of me. Everybody wanted answers as to what was going to happen. I said, I don't have any answers. I don't know. I'm trying to stay alive. 
My body was so stressed out, I literally thought that I wasn't going to make it physically, going through so much. And I would cry, and I would say, God, I don't even know what to do. Uh, I said, all I know is that you saved me by your grace. I need your grace to keep me. Please, God, please, God, please. And I want to say to you today that when you're humble, God gives you that grace. If you're proud and say, hey, I deserve that grace. I've got 40 years of salvation under my belt. Give me the belt. Give me the grace. You're not going to get it. But you get that grace when you're humble. And that's the kind of leaders we need in our world. That's the kind of fathers and mothers that we need in this world where the grace of God is upon their lives. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God one of the things that worries me about modern Christians. They've lost the fear of God. They think they've got church and Christianity all dialed in. They think because they read their Bibles and they know their devotionals and they're up on the doctrines and they know what they don't like and they know what they like and they know where they're headed that they've got it all dialed in and there's no longer that reverence for God. Can I tell you, God can do what God wants to do. And there's a scripture somewhere in there to prove it. He can do it. He's a sovereign God. That means he's king. Uh, He's the only one in the world, planet, in the universe that can do this. But whenever he wants to do something, he can do it. That ought to put some fear in our hearts. (laughs) God is surely looking for men and women who will work with the right attitude and inspire others. Work with the right attitude to inspire others. You know, as pastors, sometimes they, people say, oh, pastors, you're so inspirational. You've motivated me. And, you know, all pastors appreciate that because we wouldn't be preaching if we didn't want to move people towards God. I've often said my job is to connect people with God. That's my job. And we appreciate that. But on the other hand, I want to tell you, people are most inspired by the examples they see on a day-to-day basis. The Bible says in this famous passage, Colossians chapter 3, 22 through 24, Bondservants, obey your masters uh, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers do, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And then it goes on, not... To men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. 1 Timothy 4.12, every young person here has quoted this verse from a time or two. It says, let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Do you get to stop being an example once you're no longer a youth? I can tell you no. We're examples from the beginning till the end. And then here it tells us, to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This should be the exemplification that we do in the world. This is how we're going to defeat uh, the attitudes of racial injustice in the world in which we live. This is how we're going to defeat all the political divisiveness that we experience in the world today. This is what's going to do when uh, leaders that were once uh, faithful and committed turn out to be corrupt and uncommitted. This is how we combat that, not by, you know, going on a campaign, but by living out the word, living out the word. I'll always remember this. We were pastoring San Pedro. We'd been there for quite a few years at that point. We were having a little men's breakfast on our patio for Father's Day. I think we had about 12 guys there, and we were having breakfast, and we are kind of giving testimonies about fathers. And my son, who doesn't say much about me too often, except when he's angry at me, then he'll say a couple of things which... Hey, it's better than nothing, man. I'll take it. Son, I'll take it. I don't know where you're at, but I'll take it. (laughs) But he said, you know, I appreciate my dad because what my dad does in church is what he does at home. I said, you know, that's the best testimony anyone could ever make about you. That's the greatest compliment anyone could ever give give to you. It's an attitude of exampleship that affects other people. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5.3, nor being lords over those entrusted to you. We don't dominate those who we lead, but it says, but being examples to the flock. 
This is the kind of leadership that is needed in our day and age. Not titles. We don't need more pastors. We need more people who act like pastors. We don't need any more head this or head that. We need people who have the heart to serve people like a head this and a head that. I hope that makes sense. As we change gears here, you know, Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of Britain during this time of World War II, gave three speeches in 1940 that inspired the world to fight against tyranny. And there were things in there that I thought were so uh, applicable to us as believers. He gave his first speech to the House of Commons, which is like Congress, you know, the the, the MPs, the, the government leaders, in May 1940. And here's what he said. I I, I was always motivated when I read it. He says, I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and of suffering. The reason I appreciate that so much is because he didn't try to sugarcoat it, whitewash it. He said, look it, I have nothing to offer you. I can't come in here and tell you everything's going to be all right. Can I tell you that as a man of God and one who studies the scripture as well as history and what I see in the newspaper, I want to tell you something that I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. We don't know how Aspire Church Manchester is going to turn out, nor do you know how Remnant Church Whittier is going to turn out. Prime Minister Churchill didn't know what the country was going to be like. He says, I want to prepare you because we have many, many months of struggle and sacrifice up ahead. And he says, all I can offer you is blood, toil, sweat, and tears. I appreciate his honesty. I think the British people appreciated his honesty, and that's why they got behind him and fought off tyranny. And I want to tell you today, serving God in 2021 is not just like it was in 1985. It's a different world. The scripture's the same. The devil's the same. God's the same. But circumstances are totally different. For most of us here, we come from a a, a group of people that life was a certain way, and it's no longer that way anymore. The older you are, the more fearful that is for you, because things are not the same. Pastor Danny and Sister Sabrina are a great couple, but they're not what you're used to, are they? You've been here for a year, but things are different. I want to tell you, you need blood, toil, sweat, and tears to get behind the vision, to get behind the leadership, to get behind the thing that you believe God is doing. Stick with me here. I'm trying to take you somewhere. Now, in saying that, just because things look dark doesn't mean victory is unattainable. The Bible tells us in the book of John, chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus is saying this. He says, in the world... You're going to have tribulation. That word tribulation is is hardship of the most strenuous kind. It's difficulty beyond what you can imagine. He's saying, this is what you're going to have. But then he gives us the hope. He says, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. And then he goes, I have overcome the world. Oh, thank you, Lord. See, I want to tell you that we face unprecedented times, as I said already, difficult times. We need to be people that are willing to give that sacrifice for our families. Our young people face temptations like never before, opposition to their spiritual life like never before. You know, we've gone through so many battles in Manchester. We've had so many ups and so many downs. And lately it's been down for a long time if you look at it in the natural. But then there's these cool little things that begin to happen. We had a youth group that had about three or four young people that came. But they loved the Lord. They really did. They were, you would probably look at them and say, wow, they're on fire. 
we didn't really know what to do because we really didn't have a very good program. So Gracie, who's not a teenager anymore, that's my wife, Gracie, she says, look it, I think we could do this and I think we could do that. And she got together with a couple of the other leaders and started just talking about how to do youth group. Nothing like what you would be used to. It's a different world. We have all those, and you know, I grew from three or four to about 12, 14, 16, 21. We started getting different groups of people in. And we're working with them. And what am I saying? Through all the hell that we've been through, God is still doing some good things. Through all the hell you've been through, God is doing some good things. The question is, will you sacrifice? Will you check your own heart. Scripture I want to share with you. I'm sure you've heard it. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17. Listen to what it says. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. It says, And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I've read that scripture my whole Christian life. And I got to tell you, I didn't quite know what that meant. I didn't quite know how that was going to be applied. I've got to tell you, in the last two years, uh, I've seen it applied close to home and far off in other churches and other fellowships. I realize that this isn't about coronavirus or COVID or what have you. It isn't about Delta strain or South African strain. It's not about that. It's about God doing something in the earth. God is judging things and God is sorting things out and I put fear in my heart because I recognize that that could be me if my heart is not right with God. And understand with me in this time of unprecedented chaos, there is still God's hand not just to bring favor and grace and give you a nice spiritual lollipop to lick on but to deal with your heart so that you can get right with him because judgment begins in the house of God. We often think, oh man, the fornicator, the dope fiend, the this or that, boy, they better watch it. Hellfire's coming their way. I want to tell you, it's coming our way first. It's coming our way first, scripture says. This means we must correctly judge ourselves. If we're going to overcome and accomplish and survive uh, and make it from the age you are to the time you go to be with the Lord, uh, you are going to have to correctly identify the areas of your life uh, where unrighteousness has gained traction in you. The tragedies that you've seen over the past amount of time didn't start uh, last week. It's been going on for some time. You didn't know it. I didn't know it, but it's there. And that should tell us something about our own life. God's a gracious God. But nevertheless, he expects self-examination and judgment in our lives. And we need to be people who would do that, judge ourselves. There was one man I I read, and I wrote it down. I want to read it for you. He said, you should clean your houses before you preach hellfire and damnation to those who would have dirty residences. (laughs) clean your own house. Some of you are like, man, I really need to clean my house, you know. That's talking about cleaning your hearts, isn't it? James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is not a tutorial on how to become a Christian. What this is is educating us on what Christians need to do. This is how you get close to God. You repent, you cleanse, you begin to deal with your own heart. Christians need to get closer to God with blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Can you say amen? The first speech he gave to the House of Commons, Churchill I'm talking about, he gave in May 1940. But then he gave another one two months later in June 1940. And Sir Winston said these words. He says, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. Before I read the rest, I want to tell you there were some saying we shouldn't do this anymore. Let's just stop now. Let's find a negotiated settlement. 
He's saying, no, we will go on to the end. Uh, he knew that it was required of him. And the rest of the, verse, or rest of the uh, uh, words that he used there, he says, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the he- hills. We shall never surrender. My brothers and my sisters, that needs to be our heart. We shall never surrender. I want to tell you, I appreciate people like Pastor Danny, Sister Sabrina, the other pastors who said, you know, we've got to fight. We've got to stand for the kingdom of God. We've given too much to stop now. I appreciate those who says we will not surrender. This needs to be our heart, and not just today in church, but it needs to be our attitude. And there's a couple of things I want to throw in here to kind of give some perspective to this. First of all, is that Christianity isn't just a short-term thing. It's a lifelong pursuit. And that means the fighting that you do when, when, the, when the heat is on, yeah, man, we're getting attacked, we're getting uh, bombarded, we're going to have to stand against the enemy, you know, we're going to have to stand for what's right. Uh, man, I'll do whatever, you can sign me up. Uh, that's all great. But can we count on you in five years from now? Can we count on you to maintain your character and your integrity throughout your life so that you don't fade off into the wilderness with lies and deceit? Can we count on you with that? Because that's what the scripture is talking about. That's what we're trying to get here. The second thing is I want to add this perspective is that this war is real. Some of you are old enough, uh, many of you old enough to understand about Vietnam, and we knew that was a real war. Some of our friends and family lost their lives in Vietnam. We knew that it was no joke. This wasn't playing G.I. Joes in the field next to your house. This was something real, man. I want to tell you something about the spiritual warfare that we're in. It's real. I've got to tell you, man, I was laying on my carpet thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I have what it takes to survive this. And I wanted to, but it was a battle. It was an opposition. I'm not a big demonologist. I think most of people's problems are by the choices they make and the decisions they make. I don't think the devil's anywhere near them most of the time. (laughs) But I've got to tell you, I had encounters with the devil, not sensationalist, but just knowing that this is real darkness. And I got to tell you, it's not over. It's not over. We're facing more battles. You know, we just went through one. We just went through a couple. You know, we're talking about, you know, pandemics, but there's worse things that can come upon us that as Christians, we have to be willing to, to fight. The war is real. And so what is required from us is a fighting spirit, an attitude that is steadfast. Now, that sounds sometimes really militaristic when we use those words like steadfast. But the scripture says this, Acts 2.42. It says, and they, talking about the early Christians, continued steadfastly, steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine, preaching, teaching, the application of the word. In fellowship, getting together and sharing our hearts and talking about things. In prayer and in breaking of bread, the common basic things that Christians do, we have to fight for. They have to be things that we protect. Don't let the enemy get you away from these things. Don't just get up and go home. Meet with people. Pray with people. Phone people up. Fight for that. Fighting spirit. Because that's what the enemy, that's how the enemy wins. He divides us. You know, I've, I've never been a person who's like, oh, I'm so lonely, you know. I'm lonely. I, I like being by myself. You know, I, I, I can learn, you know, Grace knows we have a big central library in, in uh, Manchester there. And, you know, it's cl- it closed because of the coronavirus, but they have a humongous reading room in there where it's quiet and you can work in there for hours. I would go in there and spend hours writing messages and studying different things and just working there and I enjoyed it, man. It was fine. But one of the things I've learned in the last 22 months is that I need people. 
I need people in my life more than I ever thought I needed people. You know, I've got a friend, his name's Pastor Phil in San Diego, and we've known each other for a long time. We used to do skits together when we were young and, uh, uh, you know, involved in street outreach and evangelism. We used to get up early in the morning and pray and then go eat Philly cheesesteaks like at 9 o'clock in the morning, you know, and now if we did that, we'd both die, you know, but... We've been friends for a long time, but we didn't really stay too close. I mean, we talk here and there. But when all of this came on, man, that brother texted me every other day. He could hear it in my voice. He'd say, hey, buddy, how are you doing? How are you doing? You don't know what that did for me. I kept me. It was so important. I had pastors that I didn't really have a relationship with them. I, I was okay with them. I didn't dislike them. I just... It's a different kind of person. They phoned me up and said, man, I want to get to know you. I want to know who you are. I feel like what's gone on for years has kept us apart. I said, man, I need that. I need that. And you know what I realized is that because my nature is one to say, hey, I'll just go hang out in the library for a few hours, I have to work at that. I have to do my bit. I have to fight to maintain what the early church had, Acts 2.42. See, recognize with me, the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians 1.23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. And that needs to be our attitude. God, I will not be moved. I'm not going to be moved away easily. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 9 says, Resist him. Resist the devil. Resist, resist, resist. I don't know if you'll win, but I know you better fight. My brother-in-law, he was six foot six, 360 pounds. We hung out together before we got saved and in those days, I was skinny as a rail, a long time ago. And he would get upset with me, and he'd punch me, and I'd punch him back. He'd slap me upside the head, I'd kick him in the knee. Whatever it was, and Grace used to freak out because she knew I was going to get beat up. And I did get beat up a lot of times. But I got to tell you, I never stopped resisting him. I never gave in. I never allowed him to say he was victor, even though he was the victor. <laughs> Why am I telling you that? Because I want to be like that against the devil. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know if I can survive till the end of time. But one thing I can tell you, I'm going to fight with all that I have. I'm going to resist him. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. And the rest of the scripture, I think, is on the board there. It says, because knowing that the sufferings you're going through, your other brothers are going through as well. We can identify with each other. That's why it's good to share. That's why it's good to open up. Let me wind this down. Two weeks later, Mr. Churchill in 1940 gave a final, well, it wasn't his final, obviously, but final for what we're discussing here today, a final speech in which he finished the speech by saying this, let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. I want that to be said of shift ministries. I want that to be said I get no glory out of being part of a fellowship, I honestly. I, it, it doesn't affect me in terms of my status before God or the status before my church. But I want to tell you, I do believe God has coagulated this, a certain group of people to serve him together in certain ways. And I know he's rearranged that because some of it wasn't on the up and up before. But I, I do want you to know that this needs to be your finest hour, Aspire Church's finest hour, San Diego City Church's finest hour. 
It needs to be you as a believer in your family, whatever your last name is, your finest hour. We know that God is the one that gives the victory. Scripture's clear. But we have to make sure we're not hunkered down in some wine press, uh, afraid of the Midianites like Gideon was. Yeah, God called him the mighty man of valor, but when he was down there in that wine press, he wasn't there looking for valor. He was down there because he was afraid of the enemy that was out there and didn't want to have to do battle. Let that not be said with us. Let us stand up and be front and center and counted on by God to be the man and woman of God for our family, to be the ones that make a difference in the world in which we live in today. Let's be people of valor. What do I mean by valor? I mean this, personal integrity. I don't know if I can grow a church in Manchester. I don't. I'll try my best. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if all of the things that are in my heart will come to pass. I do not know. But one thing I do know, that I am bent on making sure that I have integrity, that when my kids and my grandkids see me, they're not embarrassed of me. They don't have to defend me. They know me. Personal integrity. I believe in personal honesty. That we tell the truth. Sure, we lie from time to time. Sure, we slip into that. But if we do, we own it. We don't wiggle around it with a variety of words and try to make it into something it's not. We tell the truth. You can say what you want about this man up here, but one thing I'll tell you, man, I tell the truth. See, don't be the type of people that we see so often in today that spin things. Spin it to make it seem like it's something else. hate that about politics. I used to like politics and being now it's just all about spin it can be the very same thing but we spin it this way and spin it that way till you don't even know what they're talking about same thing is true in the church sometimes christians can be like that where they spin it because they want to don't want to look bad let us be a new breed of christians let us begin to set the, the tone for the next generation. We've been talking about the next generation for two or three generations now. I want to tell you it's time for us to be that new breed, to be those types of Christians uh, that the entire world can look up to. Just saying, well, I used to be a drug addict, you know, and I used to be a whore, and I used to be this. Uh, you know, that's just not good enough. They're looking for people who live out the Word of God, people who live out the Bible, who actually uh, make this become who they are. A new breed, our finest hour. See, there's a scripture, and I want to close with this. It's in the book of Daniel. You know it, chapter 3 and verse 16. It's a passage, 17 and 18. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we know what we believe. You and I, we know what we believe, don't we? We know. We don't need to be convinced. We don't need a man of God to come up here and convince us into what we believe. You know what you believe. And if you believe it, then you believe it. And that's how they were. We don't even have to worry about this, he says. If that is the case, in other words, if you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, he goes, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. That's full of faith. Knowing the ability of God, being able to work even in the most dire, dreadful circumstances. Able to deliver them out of this fiery furnace. They knew that. They believed that. They go, we know who we are. We know what we've done and we know the God whom we serve. And then he says, he will deliver us from your hand. They weren't doubting for a minute, were they? I love verse 18, though. It says, but if not, if the sovereign king decides to let us burn, so be it. 
That's valor. That's character. That's integrity. That's not being a pragmatist, whatever works, we'll do it. That's not that. That's about ideological stronghold. That's about character saying that's who we are. We will not serve your gods, nor will we worship this golden image. See, I don't know what the future holds. I would I don't know what the future holds in Manchester, so God knows I don't know what the future holds for you in Whittier. But all I know this, we're serving God. And I, you know what I know about you? We're serving God. This is where we are. So when we're dead and gone, and our great-grandchildren are digging through our papers and our hard drives and looking at all of our stuff, when they pull out our clothes out of those baskets that they find them in and say, my gosh, she wore this. <laughs> when they're doing all of that, let them go know that we went through hell, but it was our finest hour. Brothers and sisters, I love you passionately. When all of this came down and I was getting ready to come back and we kept saying, man, the, the borders will be open in, in, in October 2020. What a joke. Then we said, okay, in January 2021, you know, and I remember talking with Pastor Dan. He says, hey, can you come preach for us? I said, definitely, man. Whittier, we, we joke about this. Whittier is a priority. We always just say that. Whittier is a priority. I'm coming to Whittier. And one thing after another, and let down after let down happened. But I want to tell you something, man. I've been praying for this group of people for a long time. And not for the obvious. I know that you can look at the obvious and say, well, we serve God there. We've known each other forever. That's not why. It's because I really do believe there's the roots of something good that God is doing. Are you perfect? Nah. Do you got things that got to change? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. But nevertheless, let this be our finest hour. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap of praise. Come on, let's worship him with all that we have. Hallelujah. Thanking you, Lord God. Praise God. Would you bow your heads with me here today as we uh, get ready to close our service? Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord God, for salvation that has been given to us through you giving over of your Son. Lord Jesus, we thank you that willingly you went to the cross and died there. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you rose uh, uh, Jesus from the dead and you resurrect us by that same spiritual power. We thank you that we serve a God like that. And Lord, for those that are here today that need to know you, that need to come back to you, that need to revive their soul and spirit, Lord, let it be so. God, I pray for each and every one today. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that this would be their finest hour. I know many of them have been struggling in a variety of areas and doubts and angers and uh, the list is long, have been going on in their hearts, but God, you're good. Let this be their finest hour. Lord, we're careful to give you praise because of who you are. And we love you for who you are, not just for what you do. We ask these things today. In Jesus' name. So our heads are bowed. Maybe you've come into this place and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're a backslider and you need to come back to the Lord. Whatever the case may be, it's a very simple process, man. It's not about joining a church. It's not about, you know, going off and, you know, signing up and becoming a member of somewhere. It's about you praying a prayer of two things. One, it's called repentance. Lord, I don't want to live like that anymore. You might not know if you can live like that anymore, but you don't want to live like that anymore. And then it's a prayer of faith. I believe and trust in Jesus. I believe that he can forgive me of every wrongdoing that I've ever committed. That may even sound a little unbelievable to you today, but I want to say to you, Scripture tells us that's factual, and you can have him. He can be real in your life. You can change the course of your family history. 
your future family history. However it turns out, you can be the one that begin to change it because you gave your life to Christ. My family, Gracie, my wife's family, we come from a long line of hard-nosed, drug and alcohol-abusing people, self-righteous people who never thought they needed anybody. But we came to Christ, and now we've changed the course of our kids and grandkids. That can happen for you if you'll just come to Christ, rededicate your life. doesn't matter what you've done. I was sharing about people who have lost their way, people who I've admired and had integrity and character. I want to tell you, they can repent and get right, just like you can. And if you need Jesus today, would you lift your hand all across this place so we can pray with you? We'll believe God with you today. Maybe there's one, maybe there's more. God bless you. Is that a hand back there? God bless you. Somebody else today, is that you? Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Let's all stand to our feet today. Let's ask God's help as we're just about ready to move on to the end of the service. If you raised your hand and you meant that, and that was a hand that I saw, I'm not sure if I got it right or not, you can come on up to the front. Someone will meet you and pray with you. But my brothers and sisters, I also want to say to you, do you want it to be your finest hour? If you don't recognize the need for it to be your finest hour, then it's probably not for you. But if you could identify with some of the things I was saying, that you recognize that there's a need for Christians to be Christ-like. And there's a need for us to be salt and flavor the earth uh, and, and be different than the rest of the world. Then God is probably challenging you to be your finest hour. To be the leaders that you need to be. To have that blood, blood and toil, that sweat, those tears, the sacrifice that's necessary. The requirement to believe and trust God. And even if it doesn't work out the way your faith dictated, you will still serve him with all that you have. If that is you today, why don't you make your way out of the front? Come down to the front, or out of your chair rather, and come down to the front. You can kneel down and pray if you want. You can stand up here and pray. But we need men, I say we, Christianity needs men and women who will say, yes, I'll rise to that challenge. This isn't about you coming up to get glory. <laughs> this isn't about you to come up and be uh, uh, recognized. This is about you just saying, no, oh, that's for me. I just want to be that kind of person. Let's lift our hands and begin to praise the Lord today with all that we have.